The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Well, hey, uh, good morning, Fathom Church Online. Uh, Good to be with you again this morning. My name is Chris Martin. I am the lead pastor here at Fathom Church. Man, I'm just so thankful uh, that you're gathered with us, even as we are online and digital again this week. Uh, But without further ado, would you please grab your Bibles and open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, We're in 1 Corinthians. We're working through this book, and we are in chapter 7 right now. So uh, if you have your Bible, please open that up. If you don't have a Bible, you can Google search 1 Corinthians 7 or something like that. But we would love for you to see uh, this text with your own eyes. 1 Corinthians 7 is where we're going to be. Uh, We've been in this series in the book of 1 Corinthians since February, and for the last few weeks, uh, Paul has been kind of drilling down on the topic, the macro topic of sex, actually. Uh, And and so so we've talked about sexual immorality, um, and then we talked about sex within the confines of marriage. Uh, and then last week, we actually d- discussed uh, singleness a uh, l- little bit, not, not necessarily sex and singleness, but singleness as kind of a, a, a gift from God, a season of your life, or maybe a calling for your entire life. Um, but today, we, we're going to come, Paul, Paul moves out of singleness and back into talking about sex, but he starts to talk about um, about marriage and specifically divorce. Um, and, and today is going to be a tough one. Just want to kind of buffer this morning with that. It's going to be a little bit more difficult. Uh, here, here, here's what I've what I've researched: the percentage chance of you getting married at some point, at some point in your life, uh, is more than eighty percent. More than eighty percent. That means that the vast majority of us will at some point be married. Um, but so 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 eighty percent are likely to be married, but. Uh, if you are married, 50% of those marriages will end in divorce. Uh, 60% of second marriages end in divorce. And almost 75% of third marriages end in divorce. And, and while the stats are slightly better for what we call practicing Christians, uh, they, they're, they're still ominous figures there, inside and outside of the church. Uh, One last stat to share just to get us all adequately depressed this morning before we dig into the text uh, is this. Children of divorced parents are 35% more likely themselves to be divorced. So I don't know how to do the math. I'm not great at that, but like coupled that the 50% divorce rate with the 35% child more likely rate. I don't know how to do that math, but, 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 but this really puts children of divorce in a statistically scary place. And and I don't say all of these things, all this, this, these stats from a place, uh, devoid of personal experience. Okay. Um, as I've told you before, both of my parents, my mom and my dad were divorced before they actually met and married each other. And then uh, they divorced each other while I was in college. Uh, And now they are both remarried for the third time. Um, Now, I don't say that to throw my parents under the bus at all. I love my mom. I love my dad. We have good relationships. Uh, I respect them. But I I just point that out to say that I am not unscathed from divorce. Uh, Actually, it affects me greatly. When, when, 
One, one example, when Marcy and I were uh, engaged to be married, uh, we did premarital counseling. And one of the things that she brought up in our premarital counseling session was that she was nervous about the fact that I came from a home that had divorce in it. It had been modeled to me. And really, there aren't even stats for, for a guy in my position who coming, coming from, from multiple divorces and multiple uh, parents like that. They, they kind of run out of data at that point. And so Marcy was worried, and rightly so, about the odds that I just talked about. Because here's the truth. I am predisposed to run when things get tough. And so we had to work through that in our counseling. Now, uh, I've talked a little bit about divorce in previous sermons, but I've never preached an entire sermon on divorce. And so even as I just kind of dug into this text this week, I I started feeling some some anxiety uh, about it because here's the reality that I know is true for us, church. Um, Many of you, I know many of you, share in kind of the story that I just shared with you. Like, so just like me, the the, the topic of divorce, it's not just a topic to like philosophize on out there in the the universe, but it's, it's a hurt. It's a pain. It's a wound, right? It's a reality for you. And one of the things I know, I know this about our church. One of the things that we are committed to at Fathom Church is to preach all of God's word, even the uncomfortable parts, okay? Um, even the parts that are hard and that kind of make us check our gut, all right? So, so if today brings up some pain and, and maybe some wounds and maybe some questions, like I'm just gonna trust that God wants us to dig into this deeply rather than to play it safe. Like it would actually be selfish of me as your pastor to skip over this because it hurts and it just makes us uncomfortable. And I might get some, some, some harsh emails from you. Like it would not be kind of me to skip over this text, but I also want to offer myself and uh, our other elders to you as people who would want to walk through any past hurts or present struggles that you might have when it comes to marriage and divorce, okay? So if you need us, we are here for you. Like, get in touch with us this week. We want to chat and encourage and bless you in this. So with all that said, uh, here's what I want to do today. I want to address divorce from 1 Corinthians 7 and then back it up with a bunch of other scripture uh, and biblical passages. And then I'd like to address it kind of uh, in three main movements. So I'll just give you my outline right off the bat. First, we're going to look at God's view on divorce. Second, uh, we will unpack uh, biblical reasons for divorce allocations for divorce from the Bible. And then third, uh, finally, we will talk about remarriage because the Bible has things to say about that as well. So to begin, uh, it is important once again to cover what the definition of marriage is because most often when the New Testament starts talking about divorce, it does so couched in the conversation, a larger conversation of marriage. And remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago when we started talking about uh, sexuality in 1 Corinthians. Uh, and so marriage as defined by God, as defined by the Holy Scriptures is this, one man and one woman in one union for one lifetime, period, period. 
That's marriage. And Paul builds on that foundation in our text this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, let's look at verses 10 and 11. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. So God's plan from the very beginning was that marriage would be permanent. That it'd be permanent. One man, one woman, one lifetime. That was the original intention. And in God's original plan for marriage, there was no need for nor uh, uh, allocation for divorce. There was just no need. It was never going to break. But then, what? like we said uh, a couple weeks ago, Genesis 2 is, is closely followed by Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis 3, we find the fall when sin enters into the cosmos and everything breaks. Everything is broken, including marriage. So Genesis 2 is one man, one woman, one lifetime, no questions asked. But then Genesis 3 shows up and things start getting more complicated. Um, John Stott, who's a theologian and author, talks about divorce like this. This is a quote from John Stott. He says, there is almost no, ha- no unhappiness so poignant as the unhappiness of an unhappy marriage. And almost no tragedy so great as the degeneration of what God meant for love and fulfillment into a non-relationship of bitterness, discord, and despair. So, if, if, if God's original plan was that marriage would be permanent, that there was no allocation for divorce, that, then, then when is it permissible? Like, when biblically is it permissible to divorce? Are there ever occasions when there are grounds biblically to get a divorce? The answer is yes, there are. After Genesis 3, we do begin to see some concessions given through the scriptures. So I'm going to bring up two, what I think are two biblical grounds for divorce. And really, one of them we see in our text, one of them we see in a a, uh, gospel passage, and we need to cover both this morning. So first, I'm going to lean into Matthew 19 and Jesus' teachings on divorce. So Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 9. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him, Jesus, tested Jesus by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And and real quick, just a side note right there. A friend of mine puts it like this when he reads that text, he puts it like this. If you are looking for a reason to get a divorce, you will find as many reasons as you want to find. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Oh, you'll find something if you're looking for it. Verse four, Jesus answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two flesh, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man 
separate. So right there, Jesus himself, he is saying, hey, we got to go back to this Genesis 2 marriage thing. What God joined, let no one separate. Don't break what God has intended to stay united for an entire lifetime. And then he goes on, verse seven, he says, they said to him, the Pharisees said to Jesus, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Verse eight, but Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So, um, what, what the Pharisees are doing and what Jesus is now referring to is, is uh, found in, actually found in Deuteronomy 24. We can't go there right now, but the Pharisees are like, hey, Moses, he commanded us to divorce. And Jesus is like, wait, 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 wait. Now, hold on a second. Moses allowed it, but he didn't command it anything. So let's get that squared away first. And really what had happened in Deuteronomy is that divorce was, was just happening for whatever reason. Like if, if uh, a woman burnt her husband's dinner, he could divorce her. And it was really putting women in horrible positions at the time, uh, socially. So Moses was just putting some boundaries around it so that, a that, that a divorced woman, woman would not be left without any sort of legal rights. He wanted them to give a certificate of divorce so that she would not be marred with shame of perhaps um, infidelity or something like that. So then verse nine, Jesus says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So what's the first uh, biblical reason for divorce? Based on Matthew 19, Jesus gives one adultery. Adultery, sexual unfaithfulness. If your spouse cheats on you, they are effectively breaking the covenant of marriage, separating what God has joined together. Now, I want you to notice that the Pharisees believe that divorce is a command. Okay, in certain circumstances, they believe that Moses commands them to give a certificate of divorce. But Jesus, on the other hand, seems to, to use this as a concession, not as a command. Okay? Ongoing, unrepentant sexual immorality breaks the oneness, the one fleshness of the marital union to the point where Jesus says divorce is permissible but it is not required. And I would, just, I would just plead with you to take every single possible step to save and reconcile a marriage, even if there has been sexual immorality. Because, because Jesus can and does heal those types of wounds. It's like this. Um, when I was a kid, uh, and I'd be running around and I'd fall, I'd hurt myself. Uh, like I'd start crying and wailing and, you know, bloodied, whatever it was. And my dad, he would, he would come and he'd run over to me and he would try and comfort me. And he would always start with a joke, which I didn't really get until I had kids. And now that I've got Harper, it's like, I, I feel like I've got to try and lighten her spirit when she's wailing. But, but he started with a joke and he would always say, oh my goodness, Chris, that, that injury looks really bad. I, I think we're going to have to take that leg off. Um, like, amputate. And, and, and I, 
through the tears and the snot. I'd be like, no, you don't want to cut off my leg. You know, like I'd just be wailing um, and I'd laugh because I thought it was so funny and so crazy to think that he would just cut my leg off because I got a raspberry. And then he'd, he'd, he'd clean up my injury and he'd wrap it all up and he'd wipe away my tears and I'd go off and play some more. Listen, even if you have a very serious broken bone or like a, a very serious infection or whatever it might be, the first move is never to amputate. Now it might come to that, but only as a last resort. And I would just implore you that 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 mentality would, would, would kind of overlay your marriage. Even with, with sexual immorality in a marriage, it might be a long, hard, arduous journey to recovery from that injury. But I would counsel against amputation unless it is an, a, an absolute last resort. But the Bible, Jesus gives you the first uh, allocation. For divorce, and that is adultery. A second biblical reason for divorce is abandonment. Abandonment. Uh, and that one we get from our text today. So let's look back at 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 12. <laughs> to the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Now, we got to remember what's going on in Corinth for a second here, because he's writing to a specific place at a specific time. And so the church of Corinth is maybe five years old at this point. Uh, and previously in the city of Corinth, there were no Christians. There was no church. So Paul is likely addressing this scenario. Okay. The gospel comes to Corinth. They plant the church. Imagine one spouse in a marriage becomes a Christian, but the other does not. Now, biblically, Christians are never supposed to marry someone who does not believe in Jesus. This is the principle. It's a biblical principle of being equally yoked. And I really don't have time to go all the way into it this morning, but it is massively important. Christians are supposed to marry Christians, not Christians marrying non-Christians. But in this case, in 1 Corinthians, these two, they were equally yoked. They were just equally yoked away from the Lord, and then likely one of them got saved, and then the unsaved spouse says, hey, like I didn't sign up for this Christian thing. I'm out of here. And then Paul's response to that is in verse 15. He says uh, in verses 15 and 16, but if the unbelieving partner separates, so here's where the guy's like, I'm out of here, or the gal's like, I'm out of here. Let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So he says, if your unbelieving spouse wants a divorce, you can't stop them. 
You're not enslaved. You're not in that marital union anymore. That's what we call abandonment. But he says, if you are the believer in the relationship, God does not give you permission to divorce your spouse just because they don't believe the same things that you believe now that you've become a Christian. Because Paul, he's saying here, hey, you don't know whether you're going to be the one who leads your husband or your wife who doesn't believe in Jesus to Christ. You don't know. So biblically, the, Jesus gives us this allocation for divorce on the grounds of adultery. And then Paul kind of adds this concession in 1 Corinthians 7 on the grounds of abandonment one might divorce. But the question is, do these teachings cover every conceivable situation in which divorce could, could reflect God's permissive will? Like, is that all? Are those the only two and nothing else? Well, let me uh, read a quote to you from one of my seminary professors, Dr. Craig Blomberg, who's done a, a lot of work on marriage, remarriage, divorce within the biblical narrative. Let me read this quote from him. He says this, Obviously, Jesus' teaching was not exhaustive, or Paul could not have added to it in 1 Corinthians 7. Cautious interpreters, therefore, have suggested additional extreme situations in which divorce may be the least evil of several options. It's probably not best, it, it, it is probably best not to add to the biblical list, however, but simply to treat other cases one at a time, asking if the marriage has in reality been fundamentally destroyed as if sexual unfaithfulness or irrevocable abandonment had occurred. So, it would seem to me that there are other extreme situations, but again, that those are at a last option. None of this is to be entered into lightly. Uh, amputation is never the first option, okay? But I will say this uh, about one extreme situation. Um, if you are in, a, in, a, in an abusive marriage, um, you need to get out from the physical contact with your abuser. Okay, I'm not saying divorce is your only option or even maybe an option, but I am saying that you need to first get safe, get out and get safe. And then second, you need to get the help that you need to talk to us. We'll find help, find a counselor. I mean, goodness, there's so many things, but, but you, you do not use these two examples to say, I'm going to stay under an abusive spouse. Never. You get out of there. So those are the two biblical reasons for divorce. Adultery, abandonment. Um, and then finally, I, I do want to talk about remarriage uh, because 1 Corinthians 7.11, uh, back to that verse, Paul seems to indicate that there are certain circumstances where remarriage is, is not proper for somebody who's been divorced. And then back in, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, it says that uh, an unbiblical divorce followed by remarriage amounts to adultery. So, so let's talk about remarriage and try to address a couple of questions, because I know there are many of you who are on a second or a third marriage. You have remarried, and so you, I imagine, have questions in your head. First, though, if you are divorced and single, let me ask, answer this question. Are, is it okay for you to remarry? 
if you're divorced and single, is it okay to remarry? Well, again, remember back to what uh, we said last week. Your singleness, even if you got there by way of sin, is a gift. It is a gift that God has given you to display the glory of God and to build up the church. So, so your first thing is you, you strive to find contentment in your singleness. That's the, the first thing. If you're looking for contentment in marriage that, that you have not found under the, 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 the loving uh, fathership, the headship of God over you, then you're missing out on, you'll never find that in marriage. Now, maybe in your singleness now, you're realizing that your divorce was unbiblical and you've got some repenting to do, okay? You might have some things you need to confess and, and repent and, and turn from your sin, okay? Just like you would any other sin. But hear me, an unbiblical divorce is not an unpardonable sin. If you realize that you have sinned, you need to repent and to begin to live by God's standards. That's the call for all sinners. And, and so maybe, listen, maybe there is remarriage in your future. Maybe not. But, but, but your hope of fulfillment in your life is not in remarriage. Your hope of fulfillment is in Christ alone. Now, where God does give concession for divorce, he does give a, a concession for that. After Genesis 3, he also gives concession for remarriage. But here's, here's the truth. I'm hesitant to make kind of like a big, sweeping, black and white kind of blanket statement on when it is permissible and isn't permissible. Uh, for the very same reason I mentioned earlier when it comes to extreme situations in which divorce is allowable, okay? Um, remarriage is something that really, I think, needs to be taken on a case-by-case case matter. Because listen, some of you had biblical reasons maybe for getting divorced, and frankly, you shouldn't remarry. And then some of you, you may have had uh, a, an unbiblical divorce, but, but in repentance and time, maybe God will bring remarriage for you. It's just not simple. It's just not easy. It's not cut and dry. It's not black and white. Uh, but it does remind me of why you should be an active part of a church community. Like you need people around you to help you with this. You need leaders who you've submitted under to help guide you in this. So that's kind of my remarks about being single and whether you should remarry. Now, second, this, um, if you are divorced and already remarried, but today you're like, uh-oh, like Jesus just said that, that if I got divorced and then got remarried, then it's adultery. So like, what about us? Like, what about me? What about my marriage? Well, I would say the same thing that I would say to our single divorcee friends, and that's this. Where do you need to confess? Where do you need to repent? And, and just like with any sin, if there is genuine repentance, God is faithful to restore and to forgive. But I, I just, I, I don't know. I've read the Bible through and through, cover to cover, and I can't find any place in the Bible where it says that breaking a second marriage covenant will somehow fix the first so again, I think the same message, confess, repent, and begin to live by God's standards now. 
So let me wrap this up um, with, with this. In, in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 4, we find a story of Jesus uh, with his disciples, and he comes to a well in the heat of the day. He sends his disciples into the city, and he is by himself at a well at about noon. And a Samaritan woman comes uh, up to the well to draw water. Now, the fact that she came at noon in the heat of the day rather than in the cool of the morning means that this was a woman of disrepute. Okay? She had some some social baggage, some, some relational baggage. She was not welcomed with the others. But Jesus, in a very, very confounding way, strikes up a conversation with her, and he says this in John chapter 4, verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw Water. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you were right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Um, and then she ends up being the one who I think gives her life to the Lord, starts following Jesus, but goes back to her city, to her town and, and shares, evangelizes the gospel. Um, this is kind of like Jesus coming out party as it were from being kind of anonymous and not known as the Messiah to becoming the, uh, the Messiah and being out there for everyone to know and to hear from. And you know what I love about this encounter with, with Jesus and the Samaritan woman is that Jesus does not downplay the most painful, embarrassing, dirty part of her life. But, but rat, like, like he doesn't placate her, right? He doesn't, he doesn't excuse her sin, He doesn't pretend it didn't happen. He doesn't kind of beat around the bush. No, he takes her guilt and her shame head on and he makes her a better offer than her sin could ever produce. Church, this is the Jesus who we love and who we serve to us in our brokenness. He says, come. To us in our sinfulness. He says, come to us in our guilt and our shame. Jesus says, come wherever you are today. Jesus says, come and I will give you living water and you will never be thirsty again. Four divorces and the fifth guy you're not even married to, you come. I'll give you a drink. Sex, marriage, divorce, remarriage, none of those things will ultimately satisfy you. You'll still be thirsty. But Jesus has water for you that will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Question is, will you come? Let's pray together. Father, we bless you.
These are hard words. They bring up stories and experiences and pains and wounds and some scars. And yet, Lord, you, you have created marriage for our benefit. And, and, and yet sin has marred that and broken that. And you've given us good good counsel in in your word today. Lord, I do pray for men and women in here who have pains, who have shame, who have guilt uh, around their, their marital status, around a broken relationship, around a divorce, around maybe what's going on right now. Father, I do pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that they would come to you, that they would come and they would bring their pain and they would bring their shame and they would bring all that is burdening them and they bring it to you and you say, come, I'll, I will fulfill you. Jesus, fill us with that living water that wells up to a spring of eternal life. Thank you that you do not condemn, but that you welcome us and you repair our brokenness. We love you, Father. As we do this internal work now of reflection, Lord, would you move deeply in our hearts? We pray these things by the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.